Greetings and welcome to the third episode of FW Presents, the Zoom for Sam podcast. The show where I share my joy of Samantha Fox by spotlighting a single single in a single episode. I am your host, the somewhat cheeky when not completely naughty Zoom Yukonori. And today I am showcasing one of my favorite tracks from Touch Me, Ms. Fox's debut album from 1986. As I had explained in the first episode of Zoom for Sam, my first listen of Ms. Fox's title track of this album, which was via her racy music video on a college student lounge telly, did not actually touch me enough to purchase the album at the time, and it was not until a few years later, after I had listened to her second self-titled album, which belonged to one of my flatmates, did I gain an appreciation for her music to buy both that album and the Touch Me one for myself. I had also mentioned that I had appreciated her Touch Me track much more on the second listen on that cassette than I had back at that college student lounge. However, the single that really stood out for me was the following track on the album, entitled, I'm All You Need.
song initially stood apart from the other tracks by being one of the more... I suppose the best word I could think of is innocent singles from the otherwise suggestive album. And while its catchy, bouncy beat makes it a great listen, I have to admit that, in a musical sense, I'm All You Need is not spectacularly innovative compared to the other rock ballad productions of its time. In fact, Ms. Fox herself had compared it to the work of another popular music group. I'm All You Need so reminded me of a Fleetwood Mac style song. Um, I'm All You Need at the time. I was in a very um, lovely relationship and it's me kind of saying to um, my lover that I'm all you need and there's nobody else in this world other than me that you really need and um, yeah unfortunately we did split so I wasn't all he needed. Even Ms. Fox had stated that the song had a very direct meaning and there's actually nothing wrong with that. Again that was typical of many love songs of the 1980s However, this single is not like the typical romantic fair that features the singer secretly pining for a person in another relationship. Lyricist John Astrup and Karen Moline actually turn that concept around, having the protagonist bluntly state to the object of her affection that she is the answer to his romantic difficulties. Of course, this song is by no means the only, nor the first, to take such an approach. However, what makes I'm All You Need stand out from other similar songs to me is Ms. Fox's no-nonsense delivery that exudes incredible confidence and reflects her actual character of a bold, powerful woman who fearlessly expresses her point of view. I suppose that it is ironic that the personal connection I had initially made with this single was the reminder of my past relationship with Danielle Parsons my best friend from my Form 5 days, and the first woman with whom I had fallen in love. As I had mentioned in the first episode for Zoom for Sam, Ms. Fox herself reminded me of Dan because she bore more than a passing resemblance to her in terms of both appearance and personality. So it should be no surprise that a number of Samantha Fox songs would serve as a reminder of Dan as well. At any rate, as I had mentioned in detail in episode 6 of my Done in One Wonders comic book podcast, Dan was my best friend when I was age 16, and after a few months of knowing her, my feelings for her had grown beyond friendship, though she was in a relationship with another boy. In fact, Dan actually had four boyfriends during the first five months that I had known her, and while Dan had a whispered reputation among our schoolmates that she was a bit of a tart, I know that the reason that she had that many relationships was due to the boys primarily wanting to have, well, the physical benefits of the relationship, while Dan was simply looking for love. I always made sure that I was there for my friend to offer a listening ear when she wanted to vent her frustrations with her unsuitable suitors, as well as offer a shoulder to cry on after each of her breakups. I felt that all Dan needed was the right kind of love from someone who realized how beautiful she was on the inside as well as out. And I had hoped, as any 16-year-old in love would hope, was that I was all she needed, and that with some time she would discover that all she needed was love from me.
However, unlike the confident Samantha Fox in the song, I was actually the stereotypical romantic pining for a love from afar. I remained silent about my feelings for Dan for months. I had valued our brief but very strong friendship so much that I didn't want to risk it by telling her that I wanted us to be much more. And to be honest, it was more accurate to admit that I was essentially a coward. However, following a very painful breakup with her fourth boyfriend, and a rainy Friday evening of consoling her at my flat, and an awkwardly silent walk to the train station to see her home, Dan and I shared a very spontaneous and a very passionate kiss. As the song goes, all we needed was the time to discover. And then I discovered the following Tuesday that Dan was killed in a terrible car accident over the weekend. Suffice to say, I was absolutely gutted for quite some time afterwards. While the pain has faded significantly over the years, my time with Dan actually continues to stay with me, even now. I suppose one never forgets their first love. And for 25 years, I thought Dan was my only love. I had met and befriended quite a number of fascinating women over those years, but I had yet to experience that same connection with a woman, or the feeling of falling in love, that I had with Dan. And thus the song, I'm All You Need, had taken on a new meaning for me. In regards to my memories with Dan, the single was initially speaking for me, and over the years, with my heart still broken from losing her, and my thinking that my one chance at love had truly passed me by, the song was starting to speak about me. And then there was that one fateful Friday evening in August of 2005. In a downtown San Francisco restaurant, I had finished up a client dinner meeting, and while I would normally walk the client out to his car, I instead had to say goodbye at the table because I had to wait for the restaurant to correct an error on the bill. And while I was waiting, I heard a feminine voice call my name. It belonged to a cute Japanese woman with glasses who was standing before my table. She knew my name, but I didn't know who she was, at least not at first. Fortunately, at that moment, she removed her glasses to wipe a smudge from the lens, and then I had recognized her. That Clark Kent, or I suppose I should say Diana Prince, comic book convention actually worked for her. It was Namiko Hideaki, a woman who had interviewed me over a year prior when I applied for a marketing job at her San Mateo firm. Of course, the Namiko I had met then was the living embodiment of the word businesswoman. Gray business suit, silk stockings, low heels, her long dark hair was tied back at the nape of her neck with a simple clasp, 
and she was all business. In the restaurant, she was as dressed down as I was dressed up. An oversized thin fleece sweater, jeans, sneakers, a simple handbag, and her long straight hair, without her clasp, fell beautifully over her shoulders. She also wore the same necklace as in our first meeting, which did not quite fit the professional look that she had had during our interview. A cobalt blue sea glass pendant that dangled from a braided black leather rope. I have to admit that the pendant had caught my eye at our first meeting because I had recognized the exotic design. Unfortunately, I did not make a good first impression with Namiko because she thought I was staring at something else. Fortunately, I eliminated that suspicion by pointing out the Okinawan design of the necklace. Namiko's grandparents lived in Okinawa, and the necklace was a gift from them, and she wore it proudly. The only other personal information she had shared in the interview was that she had lived in California all of her life, and that the farthest she had ever traveled from her home was the state of Colorado. That was in a casual remark as she reviewed my resume with educational and work history that spanned 12 countries. The rest of our 45-minute interview discussion was all business, and we had both agreed that I would be a good fit for the job position, though there would have to be a finalist round of interviews at the executive level before they could make a decision. However, there was no second interview for me, at least not with the organization. At the downtown restaurant over a year later, Namiko was having dinner with some friends and just happened to spot me waiting for my corrected bill on her way out and wanted to stop by the table and say hello before she left. But then she waved to her two departing friends and then sat down at the table to talk to me. And during that 40-some minute conversation, I realized that I had felt that same sense of immediate comfort and familiarity that I did when I had first met Dan. Namiko and I became fast friends, and we would later meet in other restaurants for a meal, or sometimes just a coffee or an ice cream treat, or go kite flying in the park at the marina, or take walks along the paths at Seacliff and the Presidio. Namiko refused to consider our outings as dating, insisting that we be just friends, and that was fine by me, because Namiko was the best friend I was fortunate to have. And sometime during the weeks that followed, those friendly outings did become official dates, as Namiko and I became more than just friends. The Samantha Fox single was no longer speaking about me, but speaking to me. For all I needed was some time to discover that there was another true love in my life. And after 12 years of marriage, complete with a son and daughter, Namiko and our family are indeed all I need. As I had stated in the previous episode, I continue to marvel at how the lyrics of a song can speak to my personal life experiences, in most cases emotionally if not literally. And I look forward to discussing other Samantha Fox tracks that speak to me in upcoming episodes of this podcast. Thank you for listening, and my thanks also to Rob Kelly for the kind words regarding the previous episode. My thanks also to Chris Franklin, Ryan Daly, 
Max Romero, Gene Hendricks, Clinton Robison, Chuck Rodriguez, Brian Linton, Lucas Garrett, Brian Ng, Sean Brock, Scott Rowland, Shag Matthews, Coffee and Comics, Siskoid, The 108th Sage, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Ange, Dr. G Nerdologist, Slangword Scott, Elvira Aparicio Viegas, Randy Andrews, and Chris at BTO and Bat Books for promoting that episode on social media. As always, feel free to leave a comment on the show notes page at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And until next time, stay foxy, my friends. The views expressed on this podcast program belong solely to the host, who is not affiliated in any way with any music record label or entertainment company. All copyright and trademarks of music, audio clips, and quoted text are held by their respective owners. These are used for illustrative and entertainment purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. Special thanks to Samantha Fox for the music and the encouragement. Dedicated to Danielle Parsons and Namiko Yukonori, with love. FW Presents, the Zoom for Sam podcast, is a Professor Zoom Productions production.